we especially as obstetricians and maternal fetal medicine specialists have always been guided by that principle and that sacred long-standing six millennia principle golden rule of pregnancy you never ever use an investigational drug a new substance and a new drug a new vaccine even even if there's a potential benefit you don't ever use a new substance in pregnancy so we have broken all the rules i've seen significant increases in problems all types of problems before pregnancy extraordinarily abnormal menstrual periods uh, and as well as during miscarriage during pregnancy a lot of miscarriages in the first part of the pregnancy and fetal losses after 20 weeks Dr. James Thorpe, thank you so much for joining us. So in order to uh, properly set the stage for the audience, can you give them a bit of background on your practice? You've been in, uh, in practice now for 42 years. What's the focus of your practice and what type of patients do you typically see? Sure. First of all, thanks, Roman, for having me on your show. Uh, you do a tremendous job, all of you at Epoch Times. So my name is uh, James A. Thorpe. I'm an MD. I'm a physician. Uh, of 42 plus years. I'm board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, and also I'm board certified in maternal fetal medicine. So I'm a very busy practitioner, and I see in the order of six to 7,000 high-risk OB patients a year. So I'm very busy. This year, I'm actually, I'm track for much more than that. So I'm a very, very busy clinician. And I've done a lot of clinical research. My areas of research have spanned my entire clinical career. Um, I, I have served in the capacity as a formal uh, medical journal reviewer, many of them. I've also published extensively and been very active in clinical research. I have about 175 publications that uh, are in peer-reviewed um, journals or processes of the uh, major meetings. So I've focused the last two plus years on COVID-19 and the emerging research, especially in the area of obstetrics. So in your practice, is it the type of practice that when a woman just gets pregnant and she needs to just find uh, an obstetrician and, and start to get sonograms and regular checkups, she comes to you? Or do only pregnant women who already have some kind of underlying condition and they're at high risk, they come to you? Which one is it? Or is it both? The latter. Mm. The latter. So uh, I'm a maternal fetal medicine specialist. So all of my patients would actually be cared for by a regular obstetrics and gynecology physician. So they would refer only the high risk to me. And I would see patients before pregnancy for um, pregnancy counseling, pre-pregnancy counseling, and see patients all during the pregnancy for a variety of complications. So Dr. Thorpe, once the vaccine rollout program in this country began, and we started seeing vaccine mandates go into effect well, throughout the entire nation, did you see in your practice a correlating spike in complications within pregnant women? I have. I've seen significant increases in problems, all types of problems before pregnancy, um, extraordinarily abnormal menstrual periods, uh, and as well as during miscarriage, 
uh, during pregnancy, a lot of miscarriages in the first part of the pregnancy and fetal losses after 20 weeks. So it's been a very complicated process in pregnancy. The vaccination uh, I'm very concerned about, and I do believe that in pregnancy, it's contraindicated. It should not be administered in pregnancy. Um, what I've seen is an inordinate um, risk of, of miscarriage in the patients that got a vaccine very um, either before the pregnancy, within six months before the pregnancy or after pregnancy. Um, a lot of them had miscarriages. Um, and I should, let me back up, Roman, when I go before pregnancy and I consulted on these patients, there was a massive increase in menstrual irregularities, very concerning menstrual irregularities in non-pregnant women. And this was actually, um, I should say, prepubescent young kids, babies that would have massive amounts of vaginal bleeding, women of reproductive age, and also postmenopausal women. Um, there's a massive experience of abnormal bleeding. And that was very, very concerning to me because the stakeholders, Roman, told us a lot of things. And we can walk through those. The first thing they told us um, in this administration and last administration said, we promise you this vaccine will never be mandated. Well, looks like it was mandated. They also told us, Roman, well, this vaccine it stays in your deltoid muscle in your arm. It stays right here. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, it turns out that the stakeholders that gained a profit from the massive amounts of profit, uh, monetary, um, apparently they weren't telling us the truth. Uh, they misinformed us. They had data back in 2012 that the lipid nanoparticles injected in the arm within hours were distributed throughout the entire body. Not only are they distributed throughout the entire body, Roman, um, they cross all God-made barriers, the blood-brain barrier. Um, if, if you got the vaccine, it goes straight to your brain. Um, it crosses a placental barrier. If you're pregnant, it goes straight to the fetal blood. And if that weren't bad enough, Roman, it goes straight to the fetal brain. Um, it goes, it's concentrated in the ovaries. Now, I don't want your viewers to, to um, your, your male viewers to be upset at me for not focusing on them, but I focus on women. I'm not really as concerned about men and the testes and the effect of the lipid nanoparticles and the toxic mRNA cargo. Yes, it does concentrate in the testes, but a man has seed or sperm which is 150, 200 million per ejaculation. A man throughout his entire life uh, produces hundreds of millions of sperm, hundreds of millions, uh, you know, every, every couple of days. Not so, Roman, with a woman. A female fetus, 10 weeks before she even comes out of the womb, only has a million ovaries, uh, ovum, the equivalent of our sperm. They only have one million. And that has to last them their whole life. So I have uh, data from 2012, and so did Pfizer, that this was concentrated in the ovaries, not only in the female fetus during pregnancy, Roman, but also every single woman that takes it, whether she's 20 years old or 10 years old or four years old, every single ovary will be have a concentrated amount of that potentially toxic lipid nanoparticle with uh, PEG in it, um, and 
It also concentrates in the ovum and has a messenger RNA, which is man-made, it's not God-made, okay? And so there's this concern that that genetic therapy, the experimental genetic vaccine, could permanently alter the woman's or the man's DNA. Now, what's happening to all the, the only million eggs that that woman has for the rest of their life? Potentially contaminated, potentially permanently contaminated. What I am saying to you, Roman, is it is absolute malpractice and it's absolute criminal behavior that this possibility wasn't excluded before the drug was ruled out. Mm. And on, you, I, I am calling for a worldwide moratorium on the use of the COVID-19, quote, in air quotes, vaccines in pregnancy. They should never be used in pregnancy, Roman. And I'll say this, any of your patients out there that have had a complication, sue your doctor. Sue them. If she talked you in or he talked you in, any doctor talked you into getting the vaccine and you had an injury, obviously they didn't give you informed consent. So I would strongly recommend that you sue them. Coming to you, or was it the case that the patients who, the numbers stayed the same, but the types of uh, complications that they presented were more severe? Is that the case? I think the latter, but I think it's important to recognize that, you know, as physicians in a healthcare system, Roman, we're not allowed, we're not supported, and we're not encouraged to look at the data or anything, or even speak about COVID-19. So it's really a closed system from the, in terms of a independent researcher like myself and all the other physicians around the country, we're really not allowed to do anything. We're not funded. If we get caught looking at it, we get reprimanded. We're, we're not allowed to ask certain questions. So the, the greatest concern I had was several. First of all, there's a longstanding golden rule of pregnancy it's really our creator ordained this and put it in the heart of every human being on this earth. And we, especially as obstetricians and maternal fetal medicine specialists, have always been guided by that principle and that sacred longstanding six millennia principle, golden rule of pregnancy. You never ever use an investigational drug, a new substance and a new drug a new vaccine, even, even if there's a potential benefit. You don't ever use a new substance in pregnancy. So we have broken all the rules. Um, the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology, the American Board of Medical Specialties, the American Board of Internal Medicine, the Federation of State Medical Boards, the Society for Maternal Fetal Medicine, the American College of OBGYN, the uh, American Medical Association, I could go on and on and on. Within a span of one month, these very large number of private organizations managed somehow to get off a simultaneously message to every physician in the United States of America. That is, if you spread misinformation regarding COVID, you will be subject to harsh disciplinary action. That is never ever before occurred in the United States of America. And that all occurred in September of 2021.
So a lot of my younger physicians that I've trained all over the country when they received this memoranda from the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology were severely threatened. So there's very few people that have called them out. And I'm one of them. Uh, I've been uh, reprimanded at least three times in writing and threatened. Um, Interestingly, so too has Dr. Peter McCulloch been attacked by the American Board of Internal Medicine and Dr. Pierre Corey um, and, and many others have been attacked by these agencies. So it's very serious. It's a very, very serious threat when you take us physicians and put a gag order on every single physician and in the United States of America. And if we talk about something or get accused of talking about something, we get destroyed, our families. So there's very few physicians that are holding sacred to their vow, to the Hippocratic Oath, and to God, or their, even their officer's oath. So just, I, I really wanna kind of reiterate this for the viewers. So you're saying in September of 2021, September last year, so just less than a year ago, a memorandum went out to all board certified doctors as well as nurses in this country saying that if they question the official narrative around the vaccine, they will be guilty of spreading misinformation. And then what could happen to them if, if they're found guilty? Yes, they made the innuendo. And we published a paper on this, Roman. We, we published a paper earlier this year. Dr. Peter McCulloch uh, was one of my co-authors, Dr. Paul Merrick. There are 19 of us. The name of the paper, I would encourage your viewers to pull it off. Uh, Google. It's uh, published in the Gazette of Medical Sciences uh, a couple of months ago. And the name of, I'm the lead author, James A. Thorpe. The name of the paper is Patient Betrayal, the Corruption of Healthcare, the Physician-Patient Relationship and Informed Consent. Um, so we outlined, there were 19 authors, Roman, on that paper. Um, and it is meticulously details um, the attorney's trail. It's a combination, it's the peer-reviewed medical journal, but it's a combination of a medical physician um, scientific paper and a legal brief. And basically what we go through is the official um, communication that was sent to every single obstetrician, whatever, 25,000 of them in the United States, and it basically said last September, if you spread any misinformation, we will take your, um, we will remove your board certifications. Um, and there also mentioned Federation of State Medical Boards, which also is a private entity. And so it's important for your viewers to understand that that we're essentially hogtied. If if we say anything, they didn't even define misinterpretation, but with a very close legal observation of the sources that they uh, footnoted and referenced in their document, it's very clear that they were attempting to eliminate vaccine hesitancy. Um, and that was done so aggressively by a wide variety of federal monies that went out from the federal government under the auspices of health and human services and other federal agencies. One such organization called the COVID-19 Community Care Corps. We're talking about not hundreds of millions, but tens of billions of dollars that were given to these private institutions. Uh, last March, April, March of 2021, and they were given as forgivable loans. 
And you had to meet certain criteria if that loan was forgiven. And Roman, these were sent out to, offered to all of the board certification agencies, the Federation of State Medical Boards. Um, and there, I'm highly suspicious that when, when we get our FOIA results that we will see actual money transfers because I, I know all these people in the American Board of OBGYN. Um, I've worked with them for 40 years. They're great people. But somehow, and, and they're not really active experienced physicians like I am. They're just bureaucrats. They're in Dallas, Texas at their testing center. And you know what they do is they hold the gauntlet over anybody that deviates from the line. I've, I've been board certified. I'm lifetime board certified in general OBGYN and I'm subspecialty boarded in maternal fetal medicine. Um, and, and I've published extensively and I do voluntary recertification every year. I've, I've always passed all my tests, um, but they're threatening me now. And if I lose my credentials that they can, they said they're gonna take away, um, then I can't practice anymore. So doctor, you, you backtracked and you um, were talking about some of the menstrual problems that women can experience even prior to pregnancy. Uh, because of the lipid nanoparticle, uh, well, potentially because of the lipid nanoparticle concentrating in the ovaries. But in your practice with the actually pregnant women, so you said you see about six to 7,000 high-risk pregnancies every single year. Right. After the rollout of the vaccine program, did you see a higher instance or higher incidence of miscarriages and other complications? Like, how, how does that look? Absolutely. A lot, a higher incidence. But understand, I, I tried to make this point earlier for your review, your viewers, um, Roman, and that is that I can't do quantitative analytics on it. My system won't let me. The healthcare system won't. You know, none of the investigators around this entire world can get any funding to look at anything related to potential toxicity of the vaccine. It was shut down. And you know, what's even more concerning is in some of the phase three studies, Roman, they did a crossed a random a cross randomization. So the patients that were getting placebo, they completely destroyed any scientific method was because they gave the placebo patients subsequently gave them the experimental drug. So we will never know. But I have uh, very, very strong concerning bells and whistles and flashing red lights from all of our pharmacovigilant tools, especially theirs. So, so you're saying that one of the reasons that we're generally seeing anecdotal data come out about the effects of the vaccine, one of the reasons is because of this gag order that was passed in September, which actually limits the, the actual quantitative analyzation of, by doctors like yourself of, of the difference before the vaccine rollout and after. Is, is that correct? That's, that's absolutely correct. Hmm, wow. So I wanted to ask you something uh, related to the FOIA request. You mentioned the FOIA request that you have ongoing. Actually, before my question, what, what is the FOIA request that you currently have uh, against the uh, government? I better keep it confidential. I don't want to tip my hat. Okay. So no, I'd rather not. No I, 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 my wife's an attorney. I'll plead the Fifth Amendment, Roman. Okay, no, no, no problem. So, um, so then, uh, my, my question then is: you, you mentioned the FOIA requests earlier, and as, as you, I'm sure you're aware, the FDA was forced by a court to actually uh, start handing over documents from their uh, from the Pfizer documents from their approval of the Pfizer vaccine, and they've been turning over tens of thousands of pages every single month. And among the documents, I wanted to get your take on this was um, se se several uh, pages that showed that 
there were quite a few women, pregnant women, who were affected negatively, uh, it seems, by the vaccine, including 274 pregnancy-related adverse events, 75 of which were marked as being serious. And if you do the math, that's about 27% of the adverse events being marked as serious. Um, so, so kind of two questions piggybacking off of that. The first is, is did that not meet the threshold? Because it, te- it seems like after that, there was not alarms going off like, hey, we should really uh, watch out for pregnant women uh, rolling this thing out. So is that is that even though it seems like a lot, perhaps 274, did that not meet the threshold? You're in this world. How does that exactly work? Yeah, you're uh, referring to the post-marketing data of Pfizer, uh, 5.3.6 post-marketing data, and that followed the uh, Pfizer outcomes from December 1st, 2020, to February 28th, 2021, it encompasses. So on December 1st, 2020, uh, Pfizer-BioNTech shipped out. Now, a lot of those people didn't get their vaccines, obviously, on December 1st, but they followed up for whatever, 10, 12 weeks there. So that data was made available to the feds, the CDC, Walensky, uh, CDC, and their heads, and uh, all of the governing bodies, April 28th, 2021, it was incumbent upon them immediately to rescind that drug and take it off the market because there were very damaging safety signals. And, you know, everybody that follows the polit- the deadly politically correct narrative, it's deadly because it's caused a lot of deaths. Um, they want to deride VAERS, but VAERS has worked extraordinarily well as a pharmacovigilant tools for all vaccine. And it's been um, totally ignored. The first dump that came out, and by the way, I've had the one you're looking at, I had a whistleblower from Pfizer leak that to me personally 14 months ago. I've been in receipt and studying the same document you're looking at for 14 months. I gave it to the American Board of OBGYN. Um, now, I, I could not verify that it wasn't falsified by some hack until April 1st when the court ordered, the judge ordered the release of that. And on April 1st, I got that. And every single period, dot, apostrophe, and letter is identical. Even the same marks on the paper were identical. So, yes, it's very concerning that there were, just in that first 12 weeks, there were 1,223 deaths. You can look at that on the table table on page nine. And of the 274 pregnant women, yeah, there were 27% that had serious complications. And if that weren't bad enough, there were another 9% that had what they called nine, uh, 19% that had non-serious complications. Now, you know the games that these um, researchers play and they change categories and uh, you know, severe adverse reaction to mild, whatever. We've seen all kinds of shenanigans that, that they polled, Roman. And if you also look in that article, it's very concerning that a huge proportion of those weren't even followed up. Now, um, the senior author of that, uh, of I believe that Pfizer ghost writ an article from that and then fed it to, um, I suspect, to... Uh, the New England Journal of Medicine, and uh, several months later, Shima Bakuro, the lead author, published that. It was just horrible. Um, I want to say that it borders on fraud because they tried to hide it. 
They tried to hide the data. They looked at miscarriage rates. And there's only a small percentage of patients that got it in the first trimester or the second trimester. The vast majority of patients got the vaccine in the last trimester. But what they did was they, they shape-shifted. They lied. They cheated. They took all the denominator of the women that got the late vaccine and they shifted it to the first trimester. So in, Roman, in, instead of there being a miscarriage rate, which was kind of reasonable, you know, 12%, 13%, 15%, no, they, they, they said, you know, it's the same, it's no change. Well, when you actually read the paper and you see that they, I suspect fraudulently, move that to try to hide it and then they put the seal of approval of the new england journal of medicine on and said oh look at it, it's safe in pregnancy and that's what they did and of course there are a lot of smart people called them out on that um you know including myself and then but the damage was already done it's like the stakeholders do they they publish false um ad adulterated data when ghost written to destroy a, a drug like hcq or ivermectin well they do the opposite for the vaccine if you look at the shimabakuro article tom shimabakuro I, I wouldn't have published that in a grocery tabloid in the grocery store it wasn't worthy i would have thrown it flush it down the toilet this data as you said goes up until february but can you tell the viewers from the data that you know of post that date maybe from the vera system what is happening in pregnant women uh, in terms of the data that we have access to? Uh, what is that looking like? Every data source that I have, um, and you can uh, verify this, look, look on Steve Kirsch's Substack. He has, and I have about 15 data sources that are exactly corroborate VARES, exactly corroborate VARES. So, um, the very fact that, you know, the biodistribution FOIA from the Japanese Pfizer company, that again clearly showed that it concentrated in the ovaries. Very, very concerning data. Um, there, there was no safety data done in pregnancy, none. There's certainly no outcome data in these um, children that are having all kinds of problems. So speaking of the children, you mentioned earlier uh, several things about the women, but you also mentioned that the lipid nanoparticles can cross the, um, the, the barrier in, in, into the child itself and also into the child's brain. Are you seeing any effects on the, either the embryo, the fetus, or, or the actual baby? Yes. Yes. I'm seeing all types of uh, malformations, um, miscarriages, uh, very significant abnormalities in terms of fetal growth. I'm seeing uh, abnormal bleeding, um, growth restriction, separation of the placenta. We're seeing a variety of different autoimmune diseases. We're seeing a variety of increase in what I would call opportunistic infections um, that usually the, um, the immune system would hold at bay and, and wouldn't cause a problem. All of a sudden you paralyze the immune system and then these potential pathogens are released and cause problems. So yes, I, I've seen all types of problems and I'm very concerned about um, the vaccine use in pregnancy. I would strongly recommend that it's contraindicated and never be considered. And I think there's, there's a couple of really, really important points here, Roman. The first question is, um, is the vaccine safe? Well, we know it's not safe. 
we know that it's not safe. We we have over, um, you know, we have millions of complications worldwide. Uh, millions. You know, I reviewed, there's three series that I published this year called the coronavirus um, and the unraveling of experimental medicine, also published in a peer-reviewed medical journal. And there's three separate publications, part one and part two and part three of the trilogy. Um, and I would urge your reviewers to look at that if you want to do a deep dive. But there is absolutely no question that the vaccine has been the greatest unmitigated disaster in the history of medicine. And in the history of obstetrics, it's even worse. Um, we have disasters in my specialty. You know, we've had some dark clouds. We've made some errors in the many years gone by. There was a drug called diethylstilbestrol, DES. You may remember it, although you're quite young, but it caused a variety of cancers and abnormalities in offspring. So that was a quick reminder. You do not release these medications without doing long-term follow-up. This never should have been administered to pregnant women. Um, the other thing is it's safe. Clearly it's not safe. Um, in that coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 and the unraveling of experimental medicine, part three, I studied, I pulled out 1,366 medical peer-reviewed publications documenting severe complications and death from the COVID vaccine just in 15 months, 16 months. Now there's almost close to 2,000. Just to give you an idea, that's only 18 months. I've been administering vaccines for 40 years. You know, there's not one other vaccine in 40 years that I'm aware of that has anywhere near, not even 40 case reports published in the medical literature with adverse complications. So there's something wrong, very, very wrong with this situation. You know, that's that's really related to a question I wanted to ask you because a lot of viewers ask me and to, to ask doctors like you, uh, so, for instance, in regards to pregnant women, a lot of the complications you listed, I would imagine it's it's difficult to say, well, here's a complication and it's directly tied to the vaccine. And so my question is, so you've been practicing now for 42 years. When the actual COVID pandemic began, did you begin seeing an uptick? And then when the vaccine rollout began, it was a higher uptick of these incidences or was it kind of flat and then an uptick when the vaccine started? Uh, how, how, how did that look just from your anecdotal experience? From, from my anecdotal experience, it was a ladder. And, and from most people, most people have noted uh, in multiple different countries all over the world, the same thing. You know, all-cause mortality rates have skyrocketed. Roman, um, in, uh, you're a young man. When I was your age, a young man, we had the Vietnam crisis. And in my age group, it took 10 to 15 years in Vietnam, we lost 58 plus thousand soldiers. We lost... 61,000 plus millennials just in six months of last year, all cause mortality. They didn't die of COVID-19. Roman, you, you're familiar with the, um, the insurance industry and uh, the report in One America uh, executive earlier this year, the all cause mortality was up 40%, unprecedented, a 10% increase of all cause mortality for the insurance industry is catastrophic. Um, the infant death rates in multiple countries have doubled and tripled. Scotland, uh, England, uh, Canada. Uh, it's been a disaster. 
so Dr. Thorpe, uh, my last question to you is that everything that we discussed, all this data, it's publicly available. Anybody can pull it. Uh, anybody has, who has access to an internet connection can get it. And yet right now, the CDC, as well as the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they not only allow pregnant women to get uh, the vaccine, but they even go so far as to recommend it and recommend it very strongly. So what exactly accounts for that? Are they interpreting the data differently? Are they not looking at the data? Is there something else going on behind the scenes? What's your take on that? Um, I'll let you draw your own conclusions, but suffice it to say that every single physician in the United States of America had their own duty to vet and investigate um, the safety of this vaccine, and physicians have not done that. This is not rocket scientists. Uh, this is very easy. Anybody can determine, look at VAERS and see that there's something very, very wrong. And I will say this, that um, they're doubling down. They're coming down on me. They've come down on Dr. McCulloch this last weekend. They're coming on Pierre Corey. Here's what I would say to you. And this might help you answer the question or your viewers. I've been begging the American Board of OBGYN or the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine, or anybody at the American College of OBGYN to come and debate me publicly. But they won't do it. The only thing they'll do is provide ad hominem attacks against me and threaten to destroy my livelihood. So what I would suggest American Board of OBGYN, American Board of Internal Medicine, um, and American College of OBGYN, American Board of Medical Specialties, Federation of State Medical Boards. Come on, bring it on. Let's get Senator Ron Johnson. I'm sure that I can set it up. And let's get you in Senate and let's put us all under oath and let's debate. They won't do it. Mm. Well, I, I personally, and I'm sure many Americans would, would love to see it. But uh, maybe it won't happen. Dr. Thorpe, thank you for being so generous with your time and best of luck in your important work. Thank you very much, Roman, for having me on your show. I really appreciate it.